0: Buddy, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Ten Boom, Promise of God by Mike Evans with permission from Time Worthy Books. And we are in chapter 18. Corey and Aunt Anna continued to work with Mama and she regained much of her physical strength. After a few months, she could walk with assistance and sit at a table. But try as we might, none of us could get her to say more than a few words most often only yes, no, and Corrie. She sat with us for each meal, and in the evening she joined us in the parlor while we played the piano and sang. But her interaction with us was limited to those few words, a shake or a nod of her head and a smile. At the same time, Nolly's teaching job kept her busy during the day, but at night she was home with us. As we talked at mealtime and in the parlor afterwards, I noticed that her conversation became increasingly laced with the comments about Flip Van Warden one of her fellow teachers. I had heard this kind of chatter before from Corey and knew what it meant. Noli and Corey were very different. Corey was impulsive, gregarious, and unsimulated. Noli was disciplined, orderly, and intentional. When they were younger, Corey spent the afternoons in the street behind the bayet with the neighborhood children, and no matter what game they played, she was a natural leader. Noli spent her afternoons doing homework or reading a book. Corey had a tough time with school and was glad simply to graduate. Nolly graduated at the top of her class. Romance came to them at different ages, too. Corrie had been all of 14 years old when she became infatuated with Carol. Nolly was older, settled, and far more mature when she began to see Flip. Yet in spite of that, and despite Mamma's admonition that love and romance were matters of the heart and not the head, I thought an intentional, thoughtful discussion of the matter was necessary, if for no other reason than to keep the relationship on course. And I was certain Nolly's introduction of the topic into family conversation was an appeal from her for our involvement, not so much in deciding for her, but in helping her to discover whether and how Flip might fit into our family. She liked him, and I think she wanted to know if we would like him too. Under normal circumstances, I would have discussed this with Mama before doing anything. But several times I went to her room to raise the matter with her. She had always given me great insight into the issues our family faced and how things in my own life affected the way I perceived others. Those conversations weren't always pleasant, but they had become an integral part of my maturing attempts to understand what God was saying to me and what he was doing in my life. But with Mama unable to speak, I realized those discussions were no longer possible which brought me to the conclusion I was moving into a new phase of my life, one that forced me to rely on my own ability to hear from God and find within myself the courage to act on what I heard him say without the comfort of Mama's opinion. Left to my own discernment, I found only two options for addressing the situation between Noli and Flip. Either keep quiet or talk to her. There was no comfortable middle ground, no room for equivocation. Looking back now, it seemed like I worried over nothing, and sometimes I wonder why the thought of talking to her caused me such trouble. But back then, I was deeply concerned. I had made a mess of my relationship with Corey, which took time and personal pain to repair. Noli and I were much closer in age, and my relationship with her was very different from the one I'd had with Corey. But even so, there was a risk in stepping into issues of her life, and I wanted to be careful." As winter faded into summer, I had the sense that Noli's relationship with Flip was growing more serious every day. So with time and events moving rapidly forward, I braced myself and walked into her bedroom. I determined to talk and at all costs avoid the mistakes I would made with Corey. She was seated at her desk when I entered. So, I began, feeling awkward and out of place but intent on getting to the point. You and Flip are seeing a lot of each other. She turned in the chair to face me. Yes, we are. I took a seat on the edge of her bed. You like him? Very much, she nodded, and I think you would too. Her openness was refreshing and so I pressed the issue. Well, if this relationship is developing like I think it is, Flit needs to meet us. Yes, Noli laughed. I suppose he does. My eyes darted away. I'm just trying to help, I sighed. I know, Noli grinned. "'You really do think Papa will like him?' "'There's one way to find out.' "'I know.' "'The smile vanished from her face. "'But with Mom and everything, I wasn't sure I could have him over.' "'A puzzled frown creased my brow. "'You're worried about what he'll think of her?' "'No,' she replied quickly. "'Not at all. "'It's just that she takes a lot of Cory and Aunt Addie's time, "'and having flip over would mean a lot of extra bother for everyone. "'I'm not here during the day to help.' "'I don't think they would mind.' "'I just didn't want to add any more work "'to what everybody else is already doing. "'That won't be a problem. "'When can you bring him for dinner? "'I don't know.' "'Then she lowered her voice and looked over at me. "'Do you think he'll like us?' "'I touched her knee. "'If he likes you, we won't matter. "'I hope so. "'There's only one way to find out. "'I rose from the bed and stood. "'Let's have him for dinner. "'We should discuss that with Aunt Anna.' "'Yes,' I nodded, feeling relieved "'that we weren't arguing.' She's in her room. Let's go up to see her now. The following Friday, Flip arrived at the shop door just as we were taking supper from the oven. Papa was impressed by his punctuality. Everyone else was impressed that he brought flowers for Mama. We ate and talked at the table and then moved to the parlor where we gathered around the piano to play and sing. Flip joined in as if he'd always been among us. Later that evening, after he was gone, Noly came to the kitchen while I was washing dishes. That went well, I said. Yes, it did. What do you think of him? Nice man. Nice, she laughed. Is that all you have to say? Well, I added playfully, I would say if you don't want him, I'll take him, but that wouldn't go over so well. Nolly picked up a towel and began drying a plate. Are you worried about us? I shot a glance in her direction. About you and Flip? He's very different from Carol, you know. Yes, he is, I agreed. And no, I'm not worried. Good, she grinned. We worked in silence a while, and then I asked without looking up, Does Flip need to talk to Papa? Maybe, she grinned. Several months later, Flip came to the shop. He arrived about mid-morning, which was an odd time considering his job as a schoolteacher, and visited with us while Papa and Lewis continued to work. I could tell he was nervous, and I did my best to keep the conversation lively and engaging. Sometime before noon, I suggested instead of taking his daily walk with me, Papa should allow Flip to accompany. Papa agreed, and the two of them left for a stroll through the neighborhood. They were gone much longer than normal, but when they returned, Flip seemed more at ease and genuinely relieved. I was pretty sure I knew why. That afternoon, Nolly did not come home. As supper time approached, Corrie and Aunt Annie grew concerned that she still hadn't appeared. "'Food is ready and the table is set,' Corrie fretted. "'Should we wait a little longer?' No, Papa replied. I'm certain she'll be okay. I don't like it, said and Annie, said with a scowl. She should be here by now. I'm afraid something has happened to her. Nothing has happened. Papa soothed as he took his place at the table. Mama was seated across from him and he gave her a knowing look. She grinned at him in response. Two hours later, we were in the parlor playing the piano and singing when the door downstairs opened. It banged shut and then we heard the sound of footsteps on the stairways. A moment later... Noli appeared in the parlor doorway with Flip standing with her. When they told us they were engaged, no one was surprised. As with William and Teen, the wedding was held at St. Bavo's Cathedral in the spring. Mama attended the service, and with everyone in the family helping, not many of the guests realized that she had difficulty walking or talking. Midway through the liturgy, we sang her favorite hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. I knew she loved it but wondered if she was sad about not being able to sing along. But as the organ finished the prelude and we began to sing the melody, Mama opened her mouth and sang every verse with gusto. I thought it was a sign from God that she would fully recover from all the effects of the stroke. Four weeks later, Aunt Annie entered Mama's room to prepare her for breakfast. However, after repeated attempts, she was unable to awaken her. Corey ran up the street for Dr. Van Veen, and he came to the house immediately. He checked the pulse in her neck and then her wrist and listened to her chest through the stethoscope. Finally, he stood and looked over at Papa. Mr. tenboom he said sadly, I'm sorry to tell you, she's gone. Mama's funeral was held at St. Bavo's Cathedral and then we buried her in the cemetery near Papa's relatives, not far from the graves I had visited with Grandfather when I was a little girl. I suppose we all knew Mama would die one day. Everyone dies. She had been sick off and on throughout most of her adult life and she'd had at least one stroke. We never talked about the possibility of her dying, but we all knew it would likely come sooner rather than later. Still, i had heard her sing the hymn in St. Bavo's at Noli's wedding, and I was sure it was an indication that God had heard our prayers, and that he would intervene and she would be well. I relied on that inner voice all my life, and on every occasion I had heard correctly, now she was dead. For the next several weeks, I stayed away from the shop. I didn't tell Papa I would be absent, and I didn't ask Corey to cover for me or work out a plan to ensure the details were covered. I just didn't show up. Instead, each morning after breakfast, I found a reason to linger in the kitchen while Papa went downstairs. When I was certain he'd reached the bottom of the steps, I poured myself a cup of coffee and took it up to the roof where I sat alone in the wooden chair, Mama's chair. Someone was just arriving in the Netherlands. In most mornings the air was pleasant, though by no means warm. As I sat there, surrounded by the flowers, sipping coffee, and watching the sky come alive to a new day, I searched my heart for an answer. I'd been so sure she'd be well, and now she was gone. If the days were filled with long periods of contemplative silence and reflection, the nights were restless bouts of tossing and turning. Sleep came only in fits and starts. And when I did finally get to sleep, my dreams were episodic. Chaotic pieces of disconnected scenes rather than seamless stories I normally experienced. Often I woke feeling more tired than when I went to bed. Papa let this go on for a few weeks without saying a word to me about it. And then one night he came to my room. Betsy, he said with a soft voice, This has gone on long enough. Tears filled my eyes. I knew what he meant, and the thought of it filled me with sadness. In a whisper, I said, I miss her. I know, he nodded, and you've been holding on to her with a tight grip. It's time to let her go on to heaven. But there are so many things I wanted to ask her. I know. He took a seat on the bed and patted the spot beside him with his hand. But those questions will have to wait. I took a seat beside him, and then he placed his hand on top of my head. I'm going to pray for you now, and you'll be released from your grief. I heard him take a deep breath to speak, and at the last second I jerked my head from beneath his hand. But I don't want her to go yet, I sobbed. Yes, you do, he replied, and returned his hand gently to my head. He was right. I had been holding on to Mama ever since she died and traveled to the depths of grief. At first it had been sweet in an odd sort of way to sit for Mama's presence long after the others had said their goodbyes. On the roof with a cup of coffee in the morning, I once again had her all to myself. But after a while, the sweetness of the moment turned sour, as I realized she wasn't really there and was never coming back. I was ready to be rid of the grief and the thought life I had built around it. Only by then I was in its grip and couldn't shake free. Papa's visit to my room was a gift from God. When he finished praying for me, I crawled into bed, rested my head on the pillow, "'and pull the covers up to my neck. "'No sooner had I closed my eyes than I fell fast asleep. "'While I was sleeping, I dreamed I was floating effortlessly "'through the sky, high above the ground. "'Below me was a huge house with gardens all around "'and flower beds that were filled with tulips of every size and color. "'Men and women tended the gardens, and Cory was with them. "'The dream went on for what seemed a long time, "'me floating above, and Cory and the others "'quietly caring for the flowers.' When I awakened from that dream, I felt refreshed, alive, and free. After breakfast, I decided to take one more day for myself and went shopping with Aunt Annie at the market. While I was there, browsing from one vegetable vendor to the next, I saw a copper tea kettle among the junk dealer's wares. It was dented and there was pinholes in the bottom, making it useless for heating water, but it was a wonderful patella and I was spent by it. Without a second thought or a moment's hesitation, I spent some of the food money to buy it and brought it home for the kitchen. Then I put it up on the rooftop, clipped a tulip from among Mama's flowers, and back in the kitchen I placed the tulip in a cup of water and set it inside the kettle with the bottom stem resting in the cup and the bloom sticking out towards the top. Then I placed the kettle on the shelf to the right of the stove for everyone to see. A bloom, a bright red, Looked majestic and regal in that old kettle. Just thinking of it now makes me smile. When Corrie arrived for lunch, she took one look at the kettle and shook her head. Where did you get that thing from? I found it at the market. A frown wrinkled her forehead. The junk dealer? Yes. Most of what he sells is useless, she scoffed as she took a seat at the table. I know. Probably has a hole in it. Yes, I nodded, it does. Corrie's head jerked up, her eyes sharp and focused right on me. How did you pay for it? I used part of the food money, I replied calmly. The food money? She retorted with a loud voice. For that useless scrap? Settle down, Cory, Papa cautioned. But Cory would have none of it. She sits on the roof all day, she shouted, and spends the rest of her time wandering around town buying junk, taking food from our table to buy trinkets from the junk men. You tell me to calm down? Look at how beautiful it is, I interjected hoping to steer the argument back to a conversation. Corrie just shook her head. I can't believe you spent the food budget on a worthless piece of copper, she muttered. Well, I assure you, I added, supper will be wonderful, and in the meantime, we'll have something beautiful to look at. And that's the end of Chapter 18, and we'll be starting Chapter 19 next week. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now. And good night, Aidan.